Welcome to Be a Refuge, a podcast from the Refuge community. Join your hosts, Kathy Escobar, and me, Joe Douglas, as we share stories and interview friends about the wild and wonderful community life that is the Refuge. We're always learning, unlearning, dreaming, failing, and practicing together. Pull up a chair and grab a coffee. We're glad you're here. There's always room at the table. Well, here we are, episode three of Be a Refuge podcast, and this is exciting. We've got our first interview from one of our Refuge community members, Marty Dormish. Hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you're here. And I mean, this is episode three, so we kind of laid a little bit of tracks about this dream for the podcast and then a little bit of our story and a piece of uh, something about Be a Refuge that everyone needs to know is nothing is going to be perfectly sequential. And we're just a non-linear community. Um, but when we were thinking about sort of what's next, it just felt so right to have the Refuge Cafe um, be a piece that people really learned more about, you know, some for the first time, if you're not connected to the refuge and just listening in, or even for the refuge community, I mean, we're a dispersed community. So there are people within our community who have literally never been to the refuge cafe, um, during our open hours. And that's just reality. They're at work during the day and just can't. And so this is always a both and, um, but Marty Dormish is the founder, the dreamer, the one who made this happen all these years ago. And so uh, starting in 2013 is when the first iteration of the quote unquote Refuge Cafe started. So tell us like what that dream was and what how we started and just give us help us understand. Yeah, so it's great to be here with you both, and hello to everyone in the refuge community and beyond. Um, I would say I I would point to a couple different things in terms of the genesis of the cafe. I spent uh, 14 months in Spain uh, before I got involved at the refuge, and uh, while I was there, I was able to work at something that was kind of like a cafe, and it, it wasn't really open to the public, but it was open for events. And it was in Barcelona, which is a really artsy and, and really kind of a trendy town. Um, and it was in an older part of the, uh, Barcelona. It was really, really cool area. And it had some elements that, that I really identified with. Like they, they said that people, when they came to events there, they could pay what they could or take what they needed. Um, so there were, at that place at least, alcohol was served at some events. And... Um, but it wasn't for profit. It was it was just for the benefit of the community. So they would show different films and have different parties and things there. And uh, so that stuck with me, being in that environment in this really trendy area and making a, a really hospitable sort of a place for people to be. And so um, after I got involved at the refuge, I think it was just kind of always in the back of my mind. And... Uh, we bounced around, obviously, which I'm sure you've shared in prior episodes to from different facilities uh, in the area, in the North Metro area, and uh, finally ended up at the Grange, where we were able to kind of begin to do some cafe sorts of things and, and providing hospitality and welcome to people and having basic need sorts of supplies on hand for people if they needed them. Um, but it wasn't until we were displaced by the floods of 2013 
that we actually ended up in a facility that was exclusive to the refuge and that we had a lot more discretion on how we could use the space. So I, I remember that fall kind of pushing for, hey, maybe we could have this sort of space that at that time it was not called the Refuge Cafe, it was called Open Space, very literal. And uh, uh, just to have a space where people can be that was open to anyone to come to hang out because um, we have a lot of people in our community that still and then were homebound or didn't have a lot of really things built into their lives that provided connection with others and community. And so the idea was just to have a place where people could come during the day and hang out, listen to music, color and draw, um, eat together, talk. Um, and so over time, as we did that, it kind of began to take on a life of its own. Um, but that was really the, the beginning of open space and what became the Refuge Cafe. So does that answer your question to get things started? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. So as soon as we had our own space, you were like, let's go. You were like <laughs> biding your time. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember open space and our how many days did you have originally? Just like two? I think we started with one day a week. Day. And then ten to two. It was short. It was just yeah. ten to two, four hours practicing, four hours every single Tuesday yeah because we always say that we like experiments so anyone listening here if you have something that you're really passionate about that you want to try out we're always open to discussing the possibility of pursuing experiments so that's what it was that's how it started one day and short portion of the day and then it expanded over time to two days and then eventually to three which is where we're at now open three days a week mm -hmm. That's awesome. So how did it turn? I mean, I know it's like slow progression, but how it looked then and kind of the concept then is similar, but it's kind of a, a, a different animal now. And so I'd love to hear a little bit of that progression of, um, and I, was it just because of the demographics that started coming in a demographic shift or maybe start with describing how it, how it is now and then maybe how, how we got there. Okay, yeah, I'll start now and then backtrack. So the best way to succinctly describe the Refuge Cafe now, I think, is that it's a day shelter. So we provide lots of things to support people's basic needs. And so we serve free lunch, we offer free showers, we're able to make referrals to local services, offer a place for people to be during the day if they don't have a, a place where they can, can spend the day. So we have a lot of people who are on the margins in different ways, economically and otherwise, who end up coming to the cafe to rest or for support or for help with services, to recover IDs that they may have lost. There are all kinds of different situations that people are in. Um, so that's kind of what it is now. The cafe is a day shelter where people can come and, and help meet some of their basic needs. But the the journey of how it it transferred from being open space to cafe day shelter, I think is that there were just a lot of threads that kind of combined together to make it what it is now. So some of those are, we just started making more connections in the local community and regionally, but just with some of the local social service agencies, other nonprofits in the area, as well as, as you know, the local department of human services and 
groups like mental health partners and workforce center. And the more connections we made with them and the more we were kind of coming into contact with people on the margins, the more the need in our area became apparent for a place where people could come without having to pay anything. And I think that's one of the very specific niches that the Refuge Cafe fills in Broomfield and the wider kind of North Metro area is that there are very few places where people can go and spend time without being hurried to leave or without having to pay for a cup of coffee or buy groceries or whatever. Um, and local libraries also bear some of the burden of that too, because they are public spaces and they're open during the day. Uh, so there are, are places like libraries where people can do that, but there also is a specific clientele that libraries often kind of cater to, and that tends to be families with kids and people that are more kind of middle class. And it's not always the case, but often the case. And so I think the niche that we feel is that we're open to anybody. Anybody can come and hang out at the cafe and be there and take a nap or interact, have a conversation or kind of be off on their own to have some alone time and have space of their own. Because we have a lot of space in our main area as most people know listening to this and we have couches set up in different areas of the space it's all kind of open so you can really see what's going on everywhere um, but there are some places where you can be more to yourself it makes me think too marty i mean a piece is like this day shelter and what is one difference i think of like typical shelter is that it's only a certain kind of person that goes to a day shelter. So people who are experiencing homelessness, it's like, that's where you go for shelter. And mm -hmm. what's different here, I think, is that there is, even though that's a predominant group that comes to the cafe, it's not the only group. Mm -hmm. So there's this wide, and this is, this started, I think, with open space. It's like, you knew you could drop by and you could eat and you could see people and you could hang out, you mm -hmm. could get a hug, you could get a little bit of love. You could maybe get food if you needed it. But like you knew people would be there during that time with no like programming. Like it wasn't I had to come at 10 and then there'd be something at 1015 and then we'd be done at 11. It's like you could just come in. And I feel like that's the piece mm -hmm. now that is really apparent. Because if you stand in the refuge and at the cafe and you look around, there'll be some suburban moms who their kids dropped off their kids at school and they just came by to say hi. There will be um, some seniors who are lonely or might have gotten dropped off from Accessoride to come get some food and pick up a few things. And then a bunch of people who are in cars or on foot um, who are needing showers and some things. And then mm -hmm. there'll be um, some community partners who are there and meeting people. And then maybe a church that drops off some stuff that we need. And so it's got this, this shelter, which is kind of the name of the refuge, you know, it's this place that would really um, be like this exhale. You could just mm -hmm. exhale and you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to pay anything. You didn't have to show an ID. You didn't have to become part of something like intentionally to belong. You just could pretty much just come and be there in any way. And I love that eclectic, wild mix mm -hmm. of um, scanning the room and going, wow, there's a lot of different people in this room right now. 
um, with all different stories and financial resources and everything in between. Right. Yeah, that's really good. And I think another another thing I would add to the short description of the cafe is that it is a low barrier day shelter. And we do everything we can to make sure that barriers are as low as they can possibly be. So a lot of places people will go during the day, they need a place to be, require that they show ID or require that they live in a certain zip code or are sleeping in a certain zip code or that they earn a certain amount. So there's a lot of, you know, using agency speak metrics involved in determining whether someone can be in a space and we want to eliminate those as much as possible. So really the only the only standard or only guideline that we have at, at the Refuge Cafe is just asking all of our guests and volunteers and staff to help keep the space safe. So that's that's really the only standard that we have. And that includes, you know, we're a drug and alcohol free and violence free um, day shelter. So if if people are are really struggling or not able to to help us maintain those guidelines, those are the only reasons that we would ask them to not be on hand. But we really do everything we can to make a welcoming and hospitable space for people to be. Um, and I think that we've come a long way over time. So so I think we really started out as as a sort of like an insular group because it was mostly refuge people, people who are already connected to the refuge community who came to open space. But I think we've grown to become something that's much wider because we have connections now, not just in Broomfield where we're physically geographically located, but far beyond that, even into Boulder and with local municipalities. So we have municipalities like Thornton that are sending people over to the cafe because they don't have places like the cafe for people to hang out. Same with North Glen and Westminster. We've we got a grant from Westminster, from the Westminster Community Foundation several years ago to help start our shower program. And so there really have been little contributions from all over the place that have helped to enhance the services that we provide and enhance the resources we're able to offer at the cafe. And I, I think we all have hopes that those things will continue and that will continue to grow and expand because to be honest, a day shelter that's only open three days a week is not completely fulfilling its its promise. And so we we want to be open more days of the week. And it's just a man, matter of kind of capacity right now of being able to have the proper staffing and the right people in the right positions in order to offer that space more hours and more days during the week. So shout out to anyone out there who's listening in who may have resources or referrals or suggestions for us to pursue along those lines. Y'all operate on a shoestring. It's pretty amazing how much gets done with the, the resources that we have. It's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, and it kind of fits in this weird category. This is what's always weird. And this is true about the refuge always because we're this strange hybrid organization. You know, we started in faith faith is in our roots. That's how we formed and that's in us. And we're grateful for that as part of our story. Um, and, and then we also have some other parts that function um, like a regular nonprofit, but, and we do have our 501c3. So we do, we did that process, but it's different because we, we're not a pure we're not pure in that same way where certain nonprofits that have one singular thing that they do and they just do that and that's what they do. 
um, this is a piece of this bigger story. And so um, it, it makes it, it makes it more confusing. And sometimes people go, oh, get this grant or get that grant. And I just want to say, you want to try that? We do. Their grants are hard. Grants are really, really hard. And so they have a lot of things. They measure things that we don't measure. They require things that we kind of, and sometimes are in a violation to our core practices. And so, um, and that we haven't seen an experience of this, the kind of like, what are measures of progress and some of those things. And so it's complicated. It feels complicated. So what's an example of, what's an example of uh, a metric that feels like a violation to us as the Refuge Cafe for people who aren't in that world? I would say what, as Kathy was talking, the thing that that came up for me was we've, for the last three years, helped to run Broomfield's emergency sheltering program in winter. And it was really a program that that we helped create and that was born out of a concern for our neighbors who are outside in really severe weather, particularly in cold weather, and a concern that some of our friends who had been coming to the cafe would freeze to death at night because they were sleeping outside or sleeping in a vehicle and were very vulnerable. And so um, through our partnerships with a number of community organizations, we started working on that and uh, helped to facilitate that for three years. And we still have a kind of a supporting role this year uh, with new partners, but there's always a push and pull in this work, especially in regard to emergency sheltering with how many people are you sheltering how much does it cost per person? So a lot of grants come down to the to one number, which is cost per person. Mm-hmm. Like, if we give you this grant, how many people are you going to be able to help with this money? And um, I get that that's how things work. That is the system, but it really is. It points to the fact that our system as a whole, locally and regionally and beyond, operates under a scarcity mentality. It's like there are limited funds. And so we have to be very specific and very um, detailed about who we can help. And that's why all these restrictions exist about zip codes and how much you earn and what programs you qualify for and you know what your ID says and all those sorts of things. But I think part of the the blessing and the curse of who we are as a community is that we do not do things that way. We we try very hard not to do things that way because it should always be people first. We talk about that all the time at the cafe of having a people first approach. And that includes the language that we use. It includes the policies that we do institute and includes all kinds of different things. And So I think that is one of the major push and pulls that comes from grant applications and metrics and all those sorts of things is oftentimes it can, it can be reversed and that the people are lost in the shuffle and the number becomes more important. So it's kind of like when Jesus, for those who are, who care about, you know, the Bible or remember Bible verses or stories, Jesus says the Sabbath exists for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yeah. Trying to, to also fight against that same sort of mentality in his day of uh, the program becoming more important than the person type thing. And that is a constant struggle because the 
the more resources that you want to provide and the longer that you're open and the 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 more people you reach out to the the more tempting it is to make compromises in that area mm. yeah that makes sense i like what you said about just um people over projects and um people first and i noticed that even in your language as you were describing the policies and the guidelines around the cafe and you probably don't notice it because it's just second nature to both y'all have been doing this for so long but for for organizations that are more hierarchical you know you said it's just just a snippet but you said you know these are our policies and it applies to guests volunteers and staff and that that everyone is holding it together and that mutuality that's really rare. Like usually there's policies for guests and there's policies for staff and like, or people wouldn't even say like the policies for our guests are this, they wouldn't even think about it. But I really, that's something I really value about the cafe and about our community is there is this just mutuality of like everyone gives, everyone receives. And I'm sure that each week, both of you receive something beautiful from different people in the, in the community, whether they're other staff members or guests or volunteers. Yeah, I love that word mutuality. That's that's a really fitting word and that describes very well what we want to accomplish because we don't we are a unique day shelter, even though that's the best word I use to describe what the refuge cafe is or what it's become. It also needs to be qualified, like Kathy was saying, because the refuge cafe is unique and we do blur lines. And so it's not a day shelter similar to what you may encounter in Denver or Boulder where people can go and hang out because we're really, really trying to foster community. And that's one of our deep core values is that it, this isn't just a place where you get to come and ask for resources. This is a place, this is a community. We want this to feel like a valued home where you're coming and, and you're also invested in helping to care for this place and keep it clean and keep it safe and to contribute. We often, you know, oftentimes our guests are our best volunteers and they're helping us to to do different tasks around the cafe and they're they're providing encouragement when we sometimes get discouraged and like we had uh one um one guest in particular who has like made it a point to and not not in a like a weird um churchy way but to pray for us to pray for our staff and to to like to provide encouragement to us because he knows it's stressful work and he knows that we get beaten down and he can tell you know from being around for a while and just getting to know us so it's not just us getting to know him to provide a service it's reciprocal mm-hmm. and i think that's a really important dynamic that we want to be present and that we want to continue to foster at the cafe and I would say that that extends beyond to a part of my vision for the future for the cafe is that, like Kathy was mentioning, suburban moms will show up, we'll have single moms, we'll have people who are homebound, we'll have retired people. But I think people on the margin, margins even extend to people in power. And that's one thing I've been considering recently, that people who are in positions of leadership in a community oftentimes get siloed or isolated because of their title. And they lose contact with day-to-day, day-to-day contact with people. So I want to help foster, I want the, the cafe to be a place that can help foster connections between people from all walks of life in our community and people who have different positions, different, 
you know, using jargon again for nonprofit stuff as stakeholders, different stakeholders in our community. Because we've been having a lot of conversations around affordable housing and even that word affordable is a kind of a charged word now, but housing that people can afford and can keep them in a community that they love and value um, has been a really big topic. And, but it's difficult. Most of the conversations that happen around fostering that in our community, there are only representatives of different social service agencies present or government agencies, not people who are actually directly affected by the policies being discussed about them without them at the table. So um, I would love to see the cafe begin to help foster deeper connections between local department heads and judges and city council people and um, people who are making these decisions that affect others on the ground who aren't involved in the conversation. Mm. I love that. It reminds me of a quote from Shane Claiborne that says, um, and it's more specific to Christians, but I, th I think it applies widely to poverty and margins and stuff. Um, I had come to see that the great tragedy of the church is not that rich Christians don't care about the poor, but that rich Christians don't know the poor. When the worlds of poverty and wealth collide, the resulting powerful fusion can change the world, but that collision rarely happens. I long for the Calcutta slums to meet the Chicago suburbs, for lepers to meet landowners, and for each to see God's image in the other. It's no wonder that the footsteps of Jesus lead from the tax collector collectors to the lepers. For when the rich meet the poor, we will see poverty come to an end. Very well said, Shane Claiborne, and read by Joe. Yeah, I think that's very appropriate. And uh, it's a lot of what I've been reflecting on lately, because... In, in typical conversations that happen in agencies, in my experience, or among agency representatives, in my experience, there's a lot of talk of them, them being clients, or, you know, we call people who come to the cafe guests, but it means clients or people in need, basically. And um, that meeting of the worlds is vital, I think, if we're going to ever figure out a better way to do all this, because the current system sucks. You can quote me on that. <laughs> the current system really sucks. It's not designed. Well, I mean, I think someone who I can't remember who the philosopher, you know, systems person was who said it, but a system is designed perfectly designed to achieve the results that it's getting. So this current system is getting the results it's getting because it's poorly designed and it's it's not people centered. It's not people focused. It's it's money focused and you know where is the money and where is the money coming from and keeping agencies and the people who receive services from those agencies beholden to the sources of those funding whether for good or bad and but ultimately it's not a, a system that helps a lot of people keeps people down and it's disincentivizing and all kinds of things i could really get on my soapbox about that but um second, yeah second, I, second episode <laughs> yeah second episode I've been thinking, actually, I did want to share that it kind of connects to the quote that you that you just read, Joe, about the whole idea of incarnation and touch. Incarnation is kind of a Christian theological term that gets talked about in reference to, to the birth of Jesus. And we just had Epiphany, which is a Christian feast that honors the wise men for coming and celebrating the birth of the, the newborn king. 
um, who was the symbol of that incarnation of the divine. And um, I've read a book recently by a continental philosopher named Richard Carney called Touch. And one of the themes of the book is on the importance of touch and recovering touch in our age, which is a digital age. And he draws a distinction between incarnation, which is, is basically the, the movement of the image from, from being an image to being enfleshed, from image to flesh, which is a really important process. But we live in an image that does things in reverse. It's an image of, or an era of excarnation where flesh is made into image on all of our touch screens and digitally and social media. Not that all those things are bad, all bad, but we're in a crisis of touch where people are lonely and people oftentimes, and here's a good example of this for our context, is that oftentimes people who are living in their vehicles who have a chance to get housing will refuse that housing because the housing doesn't provide for them having pets. And the pets that these people live with in their vehicle are the only things that have been able to keep them sane and to be able to survive living on the streets. And I think that that's, that's a sign that something is wrong if, if we're not making accommodations for these sorts of things that bring people and bring us into contact with the earth and with other creatures and with each other. Um, and so that's why I want to foster those connections, those collision of worlds that exist in our communities. I think the cafe is is a place where that can can really happen and be fostered. I love that. I think you just came up with the title of this episode from excarnating to incarnating. Yeah. Uh, like, what is that? Mm. <laughs> I love it. And it makes me think, you know, just the basic, simple uh, connection of friendship is really not in these conversations, to be honest. They're not in anything related to almost any of these moments. And we know some friends in Denver at Network Coffee House and some friends in some different places that really are trying to nurture hubs and spaces for just basic friendship. And that touch part of hugs, of welcome, of human juice between two people that like, I matter and you matter. It's both and, and it's, um, you know, with and not two and four. And I think that those, the, the cafe, it as an extension and part of the refuge really like magnifies and embodies that. But the values that are there are values of the entire refuge. And I think that that is what I love is that it's not like a separate thing. It's just manifests itself in its unique way. And so, and it's a cornerstone effort, um, but embedded in all that is this um, basic human dignity, friendship, relationship, diffusing power where everybody gives and everybody receives and we're friends like friends. And that's where um, we learn the most. And I just want to say this, because this has happened at Spiritual Formation Sunday, um, which Joe really helps nurture at the at the refuge. And um, this is maybe last month, but I remember looking and seeing friends from the cafe who are on foot, no shelter at all, next to executives, executives who make a buttload of money and um, talking about peacemaking. 
together. And I thought, okay, this is it. It makes me want to cry when I even say it. Like, this is it. And that we're not like siloed into our individual parts of the refuge. It doesn't mean that people don't have like basic places that we sort of hub out of, but it's like, there's all this crossover and to our shared humanity and trying to learn and love and be together and keep growing and, you know, eat some good food at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That face-to-face connection is, is absolutely vital and essential. I think to really create the sort of communities that we all want to live in and be a part of and we'll have a long way to go but yeah I think these sorts of places at Spiritual Formation Sunday and the cafe and elsewhere are really helping to make those things more important they're they're little pricks of light that are um kind of pushing the darkness away because there's a lot of darkness there's a lot of difficult things in our world and um so it's nice to focus a little bit on some of the hopeful things. Yeah. Well, we wrap our episodes with rapid fire questions. So are you ready? Ready, bud? Okay. <laughs> First question. What's one word that best describes the refuge for you? Uh, home. Hope or home? Both are good. I, I said home. Home. Got it. Yeah. Home away from home. Yeah. Love that. All right. I keep connecting with the refuge community because. So you, you'll have to, you'll have to put up with people who don't give rapid fire answers. <laughs> give rapid fire questions. Because. Um, I feel kind of compelled to be there. I think it's not, uh, well, it's not usually a bad compulsion. <laughs> I think it's a, um, it's it's a, a place that is allowing me to pursue my vocation of where I feel like uh, I'm called to be. Um, and so, yeah, I couldn't really come up with a good answer for that one. That was good. That was good. Uh, okay, the most irritating part of the refuge is... <laughs> There's only you can only choose one. No, just Remember, no, I'm here. <laughs> um, wow. I would say for me, okay, I just thought of something. It's it's our trash and recycling situation right now because especially at the cafe, which is high use, you know, a lot of people coming through. And we have little pictures of what is recycling and what is trash. And they always end up in the opposite places. And that is very irritating to this person, to this Enneagram one. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. I appreciate that that was pretty calm. There could have been a lot of things you said. (laughs) You will will often see me at the cafe picking through the recycling and bottles and or finding the trash in there and putting it in the trash and bottles into the recycling. So, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, so last one is being part of the refuge has helped you dot, dot, dot. I would say it's helped me to become a better person. I think being in community is something that's really important and essential to um, put it into my humanity in a better way. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that alone. So having other people 
in my life that know me and can speak into my life and and just having you know a lot of people that I come in contact with is is really helpful in that way. Thanks, Marty. Love it. Well, we have our final wrap closing question for all three of us, which is Kathy. Just I start closing. I'm just leaving to this conversation with a little more or a little less. And I'll, I'll start and just say, I'm just leaving with just a little more um, gratitude for what has been created. And so thank you. Um, for the last almost 10 years now, it'll be 10 years this year. So grateful. Hmm. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I'm leaving with um, more understanding. I, yeah, I, it was fun to hear like kind of the arc of, of it, even though I was here for all of it. It's, it's fun to hear from your angle. I would say I'm leaving with more hopefulness because um of what you two are doing and taking on this new project of podcasting and communicating our ethos and who we are as a community to to our community and beyond and i think that's a really cool effort and uh, that gives me hope i think one of the coolest things about being a part of the refuge is that it's not a one-person show but it's, it really is a team effort and i know i couldn't do what i do without the close support and uh, partnership and being alongside of, of you two and others that are really committed and um, really great people and people I enjoy being around. So that always helps. Awesome. Well, here we go. Episode three in the bag. We did it. Yeah. Be a refuge. And we can be a little refuge cafe in other places. I was thinking that as you were talking. It doesn't have to be the location like we can bring. This is that be a refuge. Like we can bring that other places too, in place circles that we're in and offer that in our own unique ways. And that's not exclusive to a location. Well said. Amen. May it be so. Thanks for listening to Be a Refuge. For more on The Refuge, go to therefugeonline.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. May we all keep finding ways to be a refuge for others and embody healing in this wild world.